everyone, welcome to Just Bear It, a podcast where we dive into conversations to spark social change. My name is Jolene. My name is Marianne. And my name is Waiting. In this episode, we are going to dive deeper into the topic of mental health. We are so excited to introduce you to our longtime Abing friend, who is now a trainee psychologist in Australia. We'll talk more about his mindfulness journey, work-life balance, what self-care means to him, yes, Abing also needs self-care, and normalizing the stigma around mental health. And just a note before we start, these are all anecdotal sharings and they should not be considered as therapy. If you are coping with depression or suicide, we highly encourage you to seek professional help and you'll be able to find more info on ways to seek help in the description of this episode. Okay, today we have um, a guest. His name is Kevin. Yeah, so Kevin is actually a mutual friend of Malan and I. Uh, we knew each other in uni. Uh, we used to be from the same hall and we did many things together, many fun things together. So basically, if you met us five to six years ago, you wouldn't have imagined us um, to come together today to advocate on mental health. So we all had our own little learning journey and Kevin is currently doing his master's in clinical psychology in Australia. So yay! Let's welcome Kevin! Welcome! Hello! Hi everybody, thanks for having me on this platform. Okay, so, so I'm currently doing my, my clinical master's um, on the Sunshine Coast. So that is a place in Queensland, Australia. It's like an hour, so for those of you who don't know, it's, it's just one hour drive up north from Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, so I only have six more months till I graduate, until I become a full-fledged clinical psychologist, uh, not clinical psychologist, but full-fledged psychologist. Um, yeah, so quite excited, um, looking forward to, to that and then to, to really work in, in the space as a proper psychologist. Um, actually, I don't think I've ever asked you before. I think we have known each other since... 2012, right? I entered uni in 2012 and by then you were already a senior. Mm. Yeah. And the, at that point in time, um, Kevin was this Abing senior. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was the alien. So, <laughs> I felt that we connected. <laughs> I mean, wow. it is very interesting because Kevin is like a, has this like Abing facade, right? But I then like, tell. Cannot tell, right? You no. look at him now, you cannot tell, right? No. Yeah, so, no, but like, <laughs> even though he had that first time, he was always someone that was very easy to talk to. Oh. Like, when it comes, when any problems, right? Like, even though he's like, he's like, he like, a bit like, a bing bing, that kind, right? But then like, you will want to go, go and like, talk to him about issues, talk about the problems that you have. Like, he always had that. So when he actually like, um, decided to go to Australia to do like, psychology, I wasn't surprised. But I don't think I've ever asked you properly like actually what but why and what drives you to want to do it um so actually when i was in university um back then i was studying psychology but i think there wasn't a strong conviction in me that you know this is going to be the work that i will be doing in future Mm. so you know in hall because we had so much fun, right? <laughs> uh, my my grades were not not very good, lah. Uh, so I I calculated and then I realized that 
probably it's not a good idea for me to do honours because it wouldn't turn out to be a very good honours anyway. So I came out, I graduated after three years without honours and then I started working. Uh, so I was working in a in an employability training sort of industry. Um, and back then, I had the opportunity to to conduct some group workshops with people who were sort of long-term unemployed. Mm. Um, and part of that workshop, um, I was sort of uh, supposed to do some sort of motivational um, and self-awareness sort of intervention with, with my, my clients then. Mm. Uh, so it's through that journey uh, that made me realize that, oh, you know, uh, work within or, or working in a space that has got to do with, um, you know, talking to people about their lives in a more in-depth kind of manner, in a more exploratory kind of manner mm. uh, is something that I would enjoy doing. Mm. Um, and because back then my work doesn't, did not only involve that, my work also involved a lot of uh, business side of things, a lot of business development, mm. a lot of meeting with um, uh, sort of corporate people. And it's just generally a more business environment. And I didn't quite, enjoy that I actually enjoyed the 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 times where I was doing that workshop so mm. I think eventually that led to me realizing that you know maybe I should um, put in more effort to to discover more more of that aspect of myself um, and that led to a decision to quit my job and further my studies in in psychology so I was lucky enough to uh, you know, to lend myself an honest sort of course in Australia. Mm-hmm. And I think everything just happened in, you know, in, in a way that, that turned out to, to be in my favour. So because of work and because of that realisation that, you know, there may be something more in the area of psychology, uh, that renewed my... Uh, if you could say my passion or, mm. or my, you know, my uh, motivation to, to put in the effort in, in this field. So I, I kind of worked hard and uh, I got first class honours, which was my ticket to, which was my ticket to, <laughs> uh, to, to, to getting into a clinical master's program because it, mm. it's quite competitive, uh, so I count my blessings that, you know, everything worked out in my favor. Because I imagine if back then in NUS, if I were to, to continue to do my honors and, and go into uh, clinical, you know, NUS, they offer a master's in clinical psychology as well. So if I were to continue straight then without going through the experience that I had at work, I probably... Mm won't be where I am today, mm. you know? So, so, um, so it's really one door opening to another door, opening to another door. Uh, and that has been my journey so far. 
like it. Like, you honestly, honestly, like, I think if, like, back then in uni, I don't even remember you studying at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, what do we, no, like, we are always, like, in the gym. Or like, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that's fine. I never join lah, but then oh. we, we do other things. Yeah, yeah we do like, other things. We, we go like we go grocery shopping. Like, I think we went quite a few <laughs> times, like West Coast. We did. We went West Coast quite a few times. Yeah, yeah and like to, to eat a certain type of grocery lah. <laughs> yeah, anything but like something that can quench your thirst, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but something then... to do with like, with beverage and yeah. Yeah, <laughs> liquid diet. Oh, yeah, liquid diet. Yeah, liquid diet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I think, um, Kevin has like you, are, you are really, really different mm. person. But I felt that you were always on this like. You always, no, actually, no, you were not always, but like you had this zen feeling. Like you were very mm. aware of your thoughts always. Like, was it, was, has this always been the case? Or like, do you, did an episode happen in your life or whatever that, or like, how do you even get to this whole thing on mindfulness? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Uh, no. So the, the simple answer would be, be I wasn't, I, you know, always been like that. Especially in, in, in back in hall, definitely I am not uh, always mindful. <laughs> you know? Uh, and I guess that, that's all part of the fun. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but so how do how how did I stumble upon mm. uh, mindfulness and how did I start my journey in mindfulness? Um I think so when I was in, in uni, when I was in hall, um, I don't know whether uh, most of you or some of you whether know this, but I was actually going through a tough period in my life um, that has to do with my, some of my personal problems. Mm. Um, so through that tough period, I developed a, a curiosity in, in Buddhism. Mm-hmm. I mean, me and my family, we've always been, been Buddhist, but um, it was more like a, oh, you know, I, I know that this exists kind of thing, but I, I wasn't always curious about it. So, but that tough period became a catalyst for me to um, sort of question or, or seek um, a little bit more clarity in my life. Mm-hmm. So because of that curiosity, I started to read, uh, more about Buddhism and then started to read more about the practice of meditation and mindfulness. Mm. Uh, and I tried to to put that into practice because when reading it, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, so I, I tried to put that into practice. And in the beginning, it sort of served as little moments of um, respite, sort of like a rest or, or a moment of, of peace for me. In, in my day-to-day life. Um, but that eventually became an anchor. Uh, it's, it's, it became something, or the moments of, of uh, mindfulness or moments of meditation became something which I was able to rely on to, to center myself um, on a regular basis. 
and this carried through um, throughout my work and and of course that whole curiosity just made me meet uh, I had the opportunity to meet with with people who were also um, practicing mindfulness and meditation back then so all these mm. conversations um, translated to a more serious sort of practice so at first it began with maybe you know a minute or two mm. of just mm. quieting myself before I sleep and mm. after I wake up uh, sort of day to day and that became five minutes and that became 10 minutes or 15 minutes so I became a little bit more uh, I realized that I needed it more and, mm. and that has helped me. Um, so through this process, uh, as it progressed, I started to develop an awareness mm. of um, internally what's going on within me. So I started to develop this awareness of my thoughts, um, my emotions, and how I reacted to, to these thoughts and emotions. Mm. Um, and that naturally came with some reflection. So I realized that, you know, I have these habitual tendencies to think in a certain way, to react in a certain way, and that created like a chain of events. Um, so, so these habitual tendencies translated to how I basically live my life on a day-to-day -day basis and mm. how, um, how that translated to certain actions which caused either happiness or suffering, or for lack of a, a better word, in my life. Mm. Um, so this realization of uh, having this awareness of these underlying processes um, made me realize that, you know, moment to moment, I was actually able to make... Uh, choices which can be more helpful in my life mm. and and those choices were choices that were both internal and external mm. um, so internal could be like how I choose to perceive certain things how I choose to see myself or how I choose to see the world um, external uh, can be how I behave uh, how, how I react to certain people externally, to other people's um, behaviors or actions, and how I react to them. And but all, of course, all these are are interrelated because when you realize that you're getting angry, for example, um, mm. if you have that awareness that you are getting angry, then you you have that choice at that moment to make a decision to calm yourself down, like walking away or doing certain relaxation techniques. You know. Yeah. And when you sort of, your anger is, is sort of, uh, you're, if you're feeling more calm and that would uh, prevent you from, from maybe lashing out at somebody, uh, which is an action which I would probably later regret. So this is mm. just an example how the mm. internal choices and external choices work together. Yeah. And, and it, it is still an ongoing journey. Uh, I, I am still you know, um, uh, realizing certain aspects of myself. Um, mm. But I think the, the, the bigger picture is that I, I realized that, you no, know, I, I started to see myself becoming a little bit more calmer, 
becoming a little bit more joyful. I'm able to to sort of experience um, uh, happiness and, and joy and well-being even in the most mundane moments in my life. And I think that's, that itself is a, is a beautiful experience um, that that is uh, telling me that this mindfulness practice is something that I should be investing my effort in. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> that's a long-winded, long-winded, yeah, process, but I, yeah. So no, I think that's okay. basically it. Lah. You have always been long with that, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really like that, like the whole internal and um external factors, mm. like how it actually, how it all comes to play. So, yeah. like, on the practice of, like, mindfulness, um, mm. in your job, right, as a, right now you're currently not, um, you, what, what do you call this? You are a what? Trainee? Is it a trainee? Yeah, I'm a student psychologist. Uh, the formal term is provisional psychologist. Lah. So basically, okay. I'm still in training, although I do see clients. So part mm. of my program requires me to to work with clients uh, as a psychologist. But the difference is that um, I am supervised. So I have a supervisor uh, who sort of uh, work with me um, in terms of working with my clients. Lah. So they would uh, we would have regular supervision sessions to talk about, you know, where this client is, is heading towards, what, what are their problems that they're trying to solve, mm. and what are some of the ways that, uh, what are some of the techniques that they can use um, mm. within psychology to help them achieve their goals. So all this have to be approved by my supervisor, in a way. Mm. Got yeah. a question. Yes. Mm. Will you want friends as your clients? Do you think that's a good idea? Well, ethically, we're not supposed to do that. So because of the issue of uh, multiple relationships. I see. For example, Mm. if there might be certain... um, Maybe there are certain things which if you reveal uh, as a client... Mm -hmm which may jeopardize our friendship or if there are certain things mm. that happen in our friendship which may jeopardize um, you know if, if you are a client uh, your the, the objectivity of that mm. session so it's not to the client's best interest mm. so it's usually it's yeah it's not it's not um, it's, it's a it's not ethical to, to sort of be a friend or a relative um, and uh, treating psychologists at, a, at the same time unless circumstances uh, really dictate that it has to be the case like there there's no other option then then maybe it will happen but we have to take a lot of precaution to mm-hmm. make sure that it is in the client's best interest oh, I didn't know that yeah, yeah that's really interesting yeah, actually, actually, being a psychologist, um, do you have your own self care routine? Because yes. I'm, you would probably have moments and days that are not as great, right? Yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> I think as of all jobs, um, there is always this tendency to be stressed or overwhelmed, 
especially when you you know it, it, I mean as a as a psychologist sometimes you uh, your session is not going too well mm. or sometimes mm. you might take on um, that emotional uh, baggage right. from your clients um, and and that that itself is, is stressful and that may interfere with your your day-to-day life la. so self-care mm. is a concept that is heavily emphasized within psychologists it is a mm. term that you know, we hear until you know, seeing <laughs> already. You know, self care. In a way, self care has has the term self care has become a a chore, even or a responsibility oh, wow. that we need to ensure that we need to do self care. Mm. Um. Yeah. So so it is. Uh, it is strongly emphasized, and and I guess I can understand why because I I like to use the analogy of. Uh, a jug of water, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want to pour water into an empty cup, so that is like you helping out the client, you need to make sure that the jug is full first. Yeah. And that means your your emotional well-being. So you need to feel that um, you need to have a certain level of, of, of well-being in order to help your clients uh, to the best you can. Not to say mm. that you can't help somebody when you're feeling overwhelmed, you can, but comparatively, when you are feeling a little bit more joyful, mm. you're feeling a little bit more, um, you know, just just more uh, balanced, and and that is a better condition for you to help somebody out. What are some like tips you have for you know trying to rebalance yourself? And, you know, when you're facing a very difficult day, like, what, what are some things that you try to do to, like, overcome those feelings? Yeah. Wow, that is a very cheap question. Do <laughs> uh, you want me to be again? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe you can give me an example. Um, so, mm. let's say, okay, so I know, like, so I'm coming from a point of like, you know, how self-care is very important and there are certain days that, you know, we will feel down and we don't have enough energy, let's say. And then the, the thing is that you still have to go to work, right? And for your case, you still have to, you know, be, um, you want to be like 100% for your client. Um, and in those kind of situations, how do you, you know, be kinder to yourself or like, you know, is it, is it, is this even like a problem that you face to begin with and like, how do you actually cope with it? I think one one major thing that is causing stress to a lot of us, especially in this day and age, right, is mm. that our expectations on ourselves. So just now you mentioned that you want to be the hundred percent to your client. That itself is is an expectation. Mm. And sometimes that works as a double-edged sword, right? Mm. So the more you have an idea, so in, in the context of psychology, for example, the more you have an idea about how the session will go, the more you have an idea about, you might have the image of you um, doing a very good session to your client. Yeah. Uh, and you think that, right, this is, I'm going to be that person that I have in my mind. But every session is so subjective, we won't know what's going to mm. happen. 
mm -hmm. we won't know how the client will react. Mm -hmm. um, so if you go to a session having that image that you want to be that image, and when things did not turn out to be how you expect it to be, then mm. you will be in a sort of stressful situation, you know? Yeah. And that mm. itself, that kind of self-monitoring, because you're kind of basing your success, basing on the image that you have, um, and it not happening it in reality, that comparison will make you anxious or panic a little bit. And, and because at, at, if you examine that objectively, that is entirely uh, brought on by yourself, you know, if, mm, yeah. and, and because the client, we, we can't control how they, how, how they react to the session and how they behave. Um, mm. As compared to if you go in with just not having that expectation, but just, mm. just having the, the intention that, you know, I just, I'm just going to be with the client. I'm just going to be present with him or her and, and be as supportive as I can be. And that could be, uh, you know that there there is no such image. Uh, yeah, I think happening as I'm talking lah. I mean the image is, um, you, you just want to be as as supportive as you can be as as supportive mm. human being for your client. And having that intention, I think, is more important than judging yourself on how you should be reacting or responding to your client. If that makes sense. Makes total sense. And I really like, uh, you know, how you describe the entire thing. Yeah, I feel that, you know, like, I think I, I always know that I have, like, expectations issues. Mm -hmm. But, uh, like, you know, when I listen to him say, I'm like, oh, so that is what is happening to me. Like, <laughs> that's the power of talking to Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I, like, humble. Wow, humble, really? <laughs> I'm, like, I'm humble, I'm humble. I'm on it. Nice. I, I, I think it's, it's got, it, it got to do with a lot of, we are constantly sort of doing this self-monitoring thing, you know? Mm. Like, we keep telling ourselves that we need to be this particular person. Mm. And we keep monitoring ourselves whether we are that particular person or not. Yeah. Mm. So this monitoring process, if you look at it from an objective point of view, it's not helpful. Mm. Right? It, if it is helpful with this monitoring, we should become who we want to be. But in a lot of situations, we sometimes realize that, hey, actually, it, it's not helping me to become the picture I want to be, but actually, it, it brings me away from it because mm. It, mm. it is causing me some level of anxiety. Mm. Um, so I think coming back to the question, having a, having a goal is good because it's like a know where you want to go right but we kind of need it, it it might be helpful if we can be more flexible uh, mm. towards ourselves in terms of how we achieve that goal or, or you know just just be more acceptable to changes and and take it as it comes and, and and don't sort of be too harsh on ourselves when things don't turn out the way uh, that you want it to be, because in in a lot of in a lot in, in a lot of um, uh, occasions or instances, we there are certain there are a lot of things we can't control, and we need to acknowledge that. Uh, we need to accept that that 
level of uncertainty in our lives. Right. Actually, it's true. And I think mentioning about managing expectations and noticing our self-monitoring habits, I think that's very good to to start with, like to start being more uh, aware and conscious that we are doing these, you know, um, mm. little things that we may not be very aware of in the first place. I'm also wondering, like, let's say when you are, these are good things to think about when you are having a good day, honestly, I feel like, you know, but let's mm. say you're already having a not so good day and you're already feeling um, you know, potentially stressed out or mm. you're not having it, you know, you're not feeling great. So mm. are there certain perhaps recovery techniques or things that you would do when you are like a blob and a stress burrito and you don't <laughs> feel like doing anything? Your brain is not rational anymore. Mm. Um, you know these things, you know expectations, you know monitoring mm. yourself, but yeah. you are already feeling horrible. So what would you do in that situation? My primary go-to, my form of self-care would be uh, primarily meditation because it is sort of a space Mm. where I'm able to just temporarily free myself from um, all the thoughts or emotions that I've gathered in my day. And it is a space where I'm able to just don't think of anything, basically, you know, just, just, uh, uh, just relax and just uh, enjoy that, that moment of, of peace. Lah. Um, yeah, so, so that's my form of self-care. Oh, uh, sometimes I would go for a, a walk. So in Australia, there are a lot <laughs> of parks, um, you know, like national parks or even smaller scale, uh, bushes or forests that, that we can we can go to. So I will sometimes take a walk there or maybe go to the beach, see the, the waves for a bit. Just basically mm. go to a different space where you're able to feel uh, more relaxed. Uh, and I guess that's the, that's the essence of self-care. You need to have a space where you're able to separate yourself from the thoughts and emotions that you've gathered in your day. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And for, for different people that, that uh, can be totally different things. So Mm. some people, um, I have a friend who is a gamer and gaming to her is that space where she's Mm. able to go in and just, just immerse herself into gaming. Um, for some people, it could be exercise. For some people, it could be sports. For some people, it could be just spending time with their loved ones. So, so, you can, so self-care is like you have to figure out what is your space mm. that you can go to and is easily accessible, uh, sort of a temporary shelter uh, to just calm yourself down and, and feel better. And when you're feeling a little bit more recharged and then you can refocus your attention back to whatever problems that you're working on. On a, on a very like sort of tangent, but on kind of on the same note where, but now it's not happening to yourself. Now you are seeing your friends, you know, going um, into a space where it's very stressful or, you know, it's mm. potentially they, they need help, but maybe they um, are not seeking help. 
So how and you know how would you think would be a good idea? Like what what can we do basically? You know, feeling a bit helpless, wanting to help your friend, but is there a, is there, exactly like is there a right thing to mm. say? Is there something we should not say? Mm. Yeah, that that can be a very tricky thing because, um, especially in Asian culture, right, where mm. we are yeah. a bit more Pisces, yeah, when it comes to having. <laughs> some internal difficulties. Mm. Um, I think there's no one right thing to say. Mm. Um, I think more importantly, we can be a, a listener. We can be sort of a, we can provide a listening ear, a space for them to just share whatever that they're comfortable in sharing, mm. uh, letting them know that um that you are there to provide support or help in any way that you can. Um, and as a person, as a friend who is there to provide support, it's also important for us to understand that we are not, um, like we can't be, no, I don't say we can't, but it's, it's unrealistic to expect that we can be the solution for mm. For them, mm. you know, yep. we are just there to do what we can, and that means to just build that that trust and make sure that the friend is comfortable enough to to just share what he or she is is comfortable in terms of sharing about the the problems or difficulties that they might be facing in their life. So, because I think some of us have the tendency to advise. Right. Yeah. Mm. So when when something mm. happened, we think, oh, this is a problem. We need to give the solution. We need to give mm. the advice. But a lot of people don't realize that when we have, when when we are facing problems in our lives and we have that level of uh, difficult emotions that we are navigating through, mm. we might not have that brain space to absorb the advice. Mm. Mm. Um, and sometimes. Ad- advising can be a form of um, uh, it can even make them retreat more back into the space because uh, they might not be comfortable with the advice that you're providing or, or they don't they don't connect with it or they feel mm. inadequate because oh they are not acting on uh, they should be acting on this advice that you're giving or something mm. like that. So they feel, in, in instead of feeling more supported, they might feel a little bit more inadequate. Mm. And they might, then that may deter them from uh, seeking that, that support from you. Mm. Uh, so I think the most important thing is to just providing them with that space and letting them, letting them know that you are there to provide support uh, in whichever way that you can. And allowing that friend, uh, if they really want to seek out more help from you, they would come to you. Mm. So, so allowing them to come to you instead of you trying to be the person that is offering help. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Completely. Oh, that's very good advice because yeah. I tend to be the one who wants to like immediately, can I help you? I want to solve it. <laughs> Let me yeah. help, you know. But that, like what you mentioned, that might actually provide an opposite effect instead. Mm. 
yeah. yeah, sometimes we have a lot of good intentions. Um, and, and that's help, helpful for the person who who is facing difficulties. helpful for them to know that, oh, we have this person that is willing to help. That's important. Mm. Um, but I think it's, it's challenging when it comes to, in our culture, when sometimes we are a little bit hesitant to tell somebody else that, hey, I need help right now. Right. You know, mm. um, so it can be quite challenging, uh, mm. So I think uh, it may be more helpful to just letting them know that you're here and and allowing them to to come to you whenever they want to come to you. Yeah. But of course, it's possible when it comes to uh, something which is more related to mental health. Um, it's always helpful if you are able to do so to encourage them to seek help from a mental health professional um be it a counselor a psychologist um yeah on that note um are you familiar with virtual therapy like better help oh i've heard of that um but i've i've not used it i'm not quite familiar in that space mm. um when you say virtual therapy do you mean like texting or they have online therapy services so it's maybe they will mm. do like a, a weekly 30 minutes call with the person mm. Mm-hmm. just wondering the is there a, like would you think that would be a difference in online and in-person therapy or maybe would it be maybe it's easier for someone to opt for an online therapy um, service first if let's say there's a barrier to approach a professional yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I think I can see how some people might actually prefer online than offline. Mm. Of course, you have, you know, both online and offline have their pros and cons, but Mm. um, I can see how some people would prefer online. And especially during COVID, right? Um, So what happened in Australia was that uh, because of the lockdown and all that, uh, the chances of people going to see a professional face-to-face is much 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 limited mm. and sometimes they really need that that space to for therapy um, so during this time a lot of organizations actually uh, do online therapy so like telehealth uh, mm. either through telephone or through a more secure sort of um, video conferencing platform to, to do therapy mm. Uh, and some found it helpful. Okay, so Kevin, you're in a very interesting point and and you're in a very interesting perspective where you experience, you keep saying like our local culture, right? So that's Singapore Mm. and um, Mm. Malaysia. And then um, now you're studying in Australia and you're also familiar with the, the landscape of health and well-being there. Do you see... What, what, or rather, like, what are some differences and similarities in the perception of mental health and well-being in Singapore and um, versus, you know, Singapore, Malaysia? Sorry, Australia versus Singapore, Malaysia. Hmm. Uh, well, from my, from my experience and from what I can see, I think the, the people here, they are more readily or they they um they're more comfortable with the idea of 
you know, I'm having a tough time right now. Mm. Maybe it's a good idea for me to uh, attend therapy or, or to seek out some sort of um, mental health support because it is uh, really well advocated here. So, so for example, there is a hotline that you can call um, anytime when, you, when you're feeling uh, that you need help. So you just call that hotline and they would do a, a, a triage. So they will either offer you um, counseling on the spot, which will help you to sort of lower your distress. Um, or they might refer you to a service which is suitable for the help that you're seeking. Mm. And, and people here, they are more readily accepting of that support. Um, but I think from my experience in, in Singapore, from my circle of friends, um, I, I don't think there is that uh, level of comfort in terms of, um, you know, going to approach a professional uh, that easily. Mm-hmm. But then again, that's coming from my exposure in my circle of friends. Like, I might be wrong. I mean, there, there might be uh, people that, you know, who are really, uh, you know, readily just, just going, all right, I probably need a, uh, to see a counsellor or a psychologist. Um, yeah, so that's that's anecdotal from, from me. And based on what you've been maybe reading up upon or studying or been talking to people, how do you think is a good way to normalise mental health and seeking mental health support, especially in an Asian context? I think it's we, it's important for us to understand that, you know, mental health is on a continuum. Mm. So mm. there is no... Uh, a lot of people might have that whole black and white sort of view yeah. that Mm. Oh, I'm a mentally healthy person and that person <laughs> is not mentally healthy. So it's either this or that, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm, yeah. So how I see mental health is it, it is on a continuum and we have, uh, you know, challenges in life that sometimes we just don't have that capacity to overcome at that moment. Mm. Um, mm. So you kind of put people into boxes, right? Mm. So it doesn't work that way because a lot of us, it's not the most mentally healthy individuals um, in fact are or were um, sort of facing some difficulties in their lives which you can't or we can't see it right so mm-hmm. they're just going about their daily lives they're facing a lot of um, going through a lot of hurdles but we just can't see it so you know like like life we, we go through life um, experiencing a lot of things and then sometimes life just throws us a curveball and mm. that might just knock us out of uh, our balance and something that you know it's it's just really uh unexpected or we, we just can't handle it and yeah. then that is sort of um uh throw us into a deep end or we feel like you know we're just in this hole and that's completely normal, right? So every it's it's a completely normal human experience to feel like uh, you're in a hole, to feel depressed or to feel anxious, and all these things are are just part of the human experiences. And there's no there's nothing to be ashamed about. Mm. Mm. It doesn't mean that 
oh, I'm facing this means I I sell you know, like I'm a, you know I I'm I'm somebody that's gonna be a mentally unwell. I'm somebody mm. that needs to go into a mental hospital. Um, so mm. that perspective is not helpful because that perspective makes us actively avoid feeling that way. Uh, actively avoid feeling depressed. Actively avoid feeling anxious, mm. and that yeah. avoidance just makes it worse. Because how can we avoid something that is commonly human? Mm. It's it's like telling us to avoid hunger. Well, yeah. we 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 can't really avoid hunger. Hunger uh, happens, and we just need to eat food to to not feel hungry, right? So, when we feel that our mental health is affected, when we feel. Uh, it could be when we feel depressed or when we feel certain things which may be a little bit out of norm. Um, we know that there are resources or supports out there that we can tap on. And just like when we're hungry, we need to eat. Yeah, so when you're feeling that way, you need to um, seek sort of mental health support or you need to sort of focus a little bit more on uh, becoming you know, more balanced, becoming more mentally well. And and it's important to to acknowledge that it is not it can it um it doesn't have to be uh, a journey that you you uh go through alone. Mm. Um you can have supports with you uh that can help you to get to that balanced state uh as quickly as possible or as efficient as as mm. as you can be, mm. um, so there's there's no shame in in seeking help or support, yes. and that could be uh, with a professional if you're able to, yeah. uh, with a psychologist or with a counselor, or that can be even you know confiding in somebody that that you trust, like mm. your friends or family, uh, and that is always the first step, right? To acknowledge that you are not in this alone and yeah. You need to find your allies. You need to find your your uh, your, your your battle clan, right? You need to you <laughs> pick. Mm. You need to pick people to be in your I team mm. to help you go through this together. Right. Yes. First, understanding <laughs> of that. No, that's yeah. so powerful. Preach. Yes, it's so powerful, and on um, actually with your with your background in working in like corporate as well and mentioning that you know actually feeling mentally affected or p- depressed is like a hunger that we have to feed so what's your thoughts on having workplace sort of you know implementations for like mental health workshops or corporate wellness you know what are your thoughts on that just have better work life balance <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, let me let me let me like let my record this part and let my boss and send it to my boss. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's tough because yeah, uh, especially in Singapore, right? Yeah. Last time I so I work until like ten p.m. then go back. That kind. Um, what does like work life balance mean to you? Yeah, because this word has is used a lot, right? Mm. So you know, talk about like what it actually means to you. Oh, that's a very good question, actually. Um, 
I think again, it's about that space that uh, you need again that self awareness that you need to have, right? So, mm. knowing that, um, going back to the jug of water analogy, you can't <laughs> be, uh, you can't perform at your best if you are not feeling well. Mm. Mm. Just like when you're sick, you know, when you're sick, we need to take MC. Uh, and we always see sickness as a form of physical manifestation or if they have the flu or whatever. But sometimes, you know, feeling mentally unwell is being sick, is us being mm. unwell. And yeah. if we bring ourselves in that empty jug state to work, then our efficiency also decreases, you know? Yeah. So again, we need to have that self. Some people can just, you know, they can work long hours and no problem because they have sort of found a way to balance uh, or to fulfill themselves so that they are always mm, yeah. at that full state. They are always ready to serve. And you have people like that. So work-life yeah. balance is, is again, uh, the very subjective thing. It's very different from, from person to person. But it comes with that self-awareness of whether you are full or not. Is your junk full? Mm-hmm. Or is your junk depleting already? So when you realize that, oh, I'm actually, my resources are depleting. It means I'm feeling a little bit burnt out or I'm feeling really stressed out to a point where I can't um, function as how I would function in a normal day-to-day life. Uh, you know, things are falling apart. Uh, mm. I, I'm just feeling perpetually uh, frustrated, perpetually upset, perpetually sad. Uh, to a point where I can't function, I'm not me anymore, yeah. then you know mm-hmm. that you, your resources are depleting. And at that point of time, you need to uh, shift the focus towards how can I make myself back to who I am again? Uh, and that could mean, you know, going back to your self-care routine, um, yeah. you know, and to, to really bring your, your well-being up, to bring your balance back uh, to a state where you're able to function again. Um, so, mm-hmm. so maybe work-life balance is a form of self-awareness. Wow. And knowing like that, that knowing mm-hmm. that you, it's only you who have, uh, who are able to have that awareness. You can't expect somebody else to know whether you're feeling depleted or not. You can't expect your boss to say that, well, you know, uh, Kevin, uh, I think you're, uh, you're you're depleted already. <laughs> <I can see. laughs> um, sometimes, if you have very sensitive uh, bosses, that maybe yeah. that's a possibility. But you know, we we just can't tell. Only you are able to know uh, your current state, whether you're functioning yeah. or not, and and only you have that ability to bring yourself back to balance. Yeah, so the awareness comes from you. But again, I want to emphasize that it is not a journey that you walk alone. It is, you can recruit people to be in your battle clan to, to bring your, your mental health up to speed again. Kevin, can people recruit you? <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs a Kevin in their <clears throat> lives. Hey, lucky. I think... Um, we need to we need to know what is our self care routine. So I think it's it's helpful to start to think what does self care mean to me. 
Mm. Mm. Can I just say something though? I think it's very funny how we went from, you know, always talking about jugs of alcohol back in school. <laughs> and then now we talk about jugs of water. Uh, yeah, so I... I hey, al- analogy, I think it will follow with me. Huh? Alcohol is not a form of self-care. Oh. I just want to emphasize that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Like, I, I, to me, I think alcohol is a form of escapism. Yeah. Uh, I very much would prefer jugs of water right now. Okay. So, I mean, I mean recruiting Kevin, Um, yeah, Jolene, you can think about it. Mara and I, you know, we've, been, we've known him for eight years. So, yeah, we are in his... He doesn't have a choice. Yeah, he doesn't have a choice. So um Jolene, yeah, you you work harder lor, to to um recruit Kevin into your tribe. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay, um just like I, I actually I, I think the conversation that we are having right now is something that we we wouldn't have imagined having with Kevin um six to seven years back. Kevin, um actually yeah, this question can be open to all of us. Um but what I really wanted to ask is what would you say to the you Seven years ago. Yeah. So I think all of us can think about it, not just Kevin. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, when Kevin looks at, like, Malan and I, I think he will also feel that, like, wow, who are these two people? <laughs> so I think it's interesting if all of us can actually, like, look back at seven years ago and see, say, like, what is it that you want to tell that person? Oh, that's a very good question. Score! I love this question. <laughs> Oh, this is a very hard question. Yeah, this is a very hard question. I'm like because pacing around my room already. I'm, I'm wondering I like what, a... I, what I was facing back then, like what I needed to hear. Yeah. 2013, we were in a bubble in home. Yeah. 2013, I was we having a hard time doing in cheer. Okay, I think I have my answer. Alright, go for it. Okay, so there are a lot of things which I think I would probably tell myself seven years ago but one thing that came to mind which I think will be helpful is uh, that I to live my life more truthfully and what does truthfully means it means that you need to know internally what makes you happy and you need to embody that yourself internally and through the the actions that you are doing mm. does that make sense mm. so you basically need to be more truthful to yourself and listen to yourself more in terms of what will make you happier as compared to what uh, the society wants what other people tells you to do. I like that. Can I? Yeah. Can I go, Nick? <laughs> sure. You cannot copy and paste. No, I'm not copy and pasting, but as I was uh, in the toilet. The toilet is a good place. Yeah, I, I actually. To yeah, I actually had the exact same thought. Like, like mm. that I feel that if I were to say that was tell waiting seven years ago something I think I want to tell her that like she matters like her thoughts matters her happiness matters and her decisions matters I, I feel that like um yeah we got to live 
a life for ourselves. Mm. Mm, and also really, really finding out what makes you happy and what is yeah. true, true happiness. Yeah, instead of just going with the flow and yeah, being in a bubble basically. So I think I probably would love would would have loved to hear from Kevin seven years ago. <laughs> but we're all we're all in the same bubble, I think. Yeah, but it's not too, I, I think that's very good. And, and and it's never too late to realize that. You know? Yeah. Realize realizing that is always the first step. Yeah. And on the question of how we think we have reacted. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I probably would say no. I'm very happy now. Uh. I am really happy. I have all my friends around me. You know, like making so many new friends from hall, and I think like I would. I, I'm very happy. Yeah, I think I would have said that, but then I know that's not true, lah. Hmm. hmm. Malan, have you thought of it? Bits and pieces, I guess. Um, it's actually quite. Um, I don't know if it's coinc- I guess it's quite coincidental that you said seven years ago because 2013 was the year that I actually went to see a counsellor in school. It didn't turn out very well um, but it kind of like suits this whole topic that we're talking about today mm. and I think at that point of time I was struggling a lot with um, being myself and being authentic to who I am. Uh, back then I was you know in doing internships that kind of like were things that to me, at that point of time, what I thought was the right thing I was supposed to do and what uh, I was just trying to fit into what um, you know, people expected me to do and I was really very unhappy and I didn't know why at that point of time. So that's why I went to see a, a counsellor. It didn't really help because um, she was telling me that you know, life is just not about your passion. It's just about um, sometimes you just have to work in uh, places that you're not happy with. And I was struggling a lot with that. And I think I'll just tell myself back then um, to just keep going and to, you know, there is space for you um, to be who you are. Like, you don't have to force yourself to fit in. Um, there's always there's always something out there, and you just have to find it. And I'll probably tell myself that back then. Um, and yeah, I just let myself know that, you know, things will eventually get better. And yeah, and I'll be in a better place, like, years later. And to just keep going on one step at a time, I guess. Wow. Nice. 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 Yeah. I think one step at a time is very important. Mm. Mm. Again, going going back to what we discussed about expectations and ourselves, mm. right? It's yeah, it's sometimes we're too concerned about the the destination. Mm. You know? Um yeah. And you can't see the you can't see the end goal as well. Like sometimes you're just so trapped in that situation and you can't you don't have a you are just so narrow, like, you know, blindsided, and then you're just, like, focusing on a very narrow thing. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and sometimes, even though you cannot see, you just have to take that step, that one small step, one small yeah. step. Every day, every small little thing that you do matters. I think a lot of times, I tend to forget that, and, like, I'll just, like, you know, this is so lame, or, like, this is, I don't know what am I doing, it doesn't matter. But actually, like, the little things that you do every day to just, uh, you know, take time for yourself, uh, for your well-being, and just to get that habit going, and just to... Little, little little things actually all add up eventually. Um, yeah, and that's something that I always ignore, I guess. 
because I was always like, oh, it's always a quick fix. I always, I need to have a quick answer and all that kind of things. But it's really about the little, little steps. Mm. Uh. I, I thought of mine. Mm. Go. I have, um, I have two things that I think my third, my my um my sort of like twenty three year old self thirteen years old every time every time we say one thing she will say two things yeah it's it's the norm so it's fine you guys love me still okay um, the first one is to not let school get in the way of my education learning and growth hmm. I think my that was something my dad told me. Um, few years back that you know school is not everything and you're not even in the real world yet so don't get so you know stressed about it or it's not gonna make or break your life you know so I think that is something that only settled recently and it got reminded again recently and the mm-hmm. other thing is um, something that one of my clients told me a few weeks ago which is she doesn't mind failing as long as she fail fast and try something else I think that is what I also needed to hear where be open to try, don't be so, um, you know, afraid that you might fail because that will only bring you closer to the thing that you that might make you happy or that, you know, you might know you want to do or that you like. So I think the whole idea is just be really open to trying things. So I think, yeah, probably these are the two things that I will have to tell myself constantly, actually, not just my... Not not just myself seven years ago, but like Jolie now, Jolie next year, every year. <laughs> nice. I think I think we have learned a lot today, uh, from Kevin. Like things that um were used used to be very confusing to me. I think you have like explained it very well and it's so nice to catch up with you after so long, ever since you let, went to Australia. I think it's so nice that we are connecting and we are talking about like issues like mental health and seeing mm. like where you are, who you are, how you are right now. I'm so happy to have you here with us today and to let all our listeners, you know, hear from my very, very, very awesome friend. And um yeah, so thank you very much for joining us today for being so ready as usual like we just asked you to join us and you were all like okay I'm, I'm, I'm up for it and then you join us today share your perspectives and I think all of us here and all of us who are listening to the podcast today have actually learned a lot from you so yeah. thank you so thank much you it's my absolute pleasure and thanks for inviting me Thank you so much for sticking around and listening all the way today we really learned that uh, mental health is a journey and all of us are on our own little learning journey together to figure out our own self-care tactics and um, what are the things that work for our own mental health. But the good news is that you are not alone and all of us are on our own journeys together. So um, if, you, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend. Um, check us out on Instagram at justbarrit.co and also Facebook at JustBarrit. Um, you can also engage with us. We have questions up there. Please feel free to post your thoughts um, to share with us how you feel and um, even feedback on how we can improve on our podcast. We would love to hear from you, so feel free to reach out and see you in the next episode. Yay! Bye! Bye! I don't know why I'm waving, but yeah. Yeah, why are you waving? <laughs> yeah, so the two of us are waving outside. I don't know why. It makes me excited. Okay.